find a copy of God's Word uh, and turn to Exodus chapter 6. If you don't have your own copy, you'll find several copies in the pews either beside you or in front of you. And I would encourage everyone to have open a copy of God's Word. As a reminder, it is true. It is without error. It is authoritative. It is God's Word to us. And we trust it as it contains the words of life. Point us to Jesus. Let's look at Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord." Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Where else can we go? For it has the words of eternal life. We ask for your special blessing upon our time together as we study it and seek to understand May Jesus be clearer and clearer to our minds. Help your servant as he preaches. Give unction to me and to the hearer alike. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just you wait. You'll see. How many times in your life have you heard that? Perhaps you've spoken them a time or two to your children. Just you wait. You'll see. When you get older, you'll see. Just just wait. Oftentimes we hear that when someone tells us they're going to do something amazing or something incredible is about to happen. The sky is clear and all of a sudden Spinks is telling us there's a Category 12 hurricane coming. You know, just you wait. Just you wait. You'll see. Well, put yourselves in the shoes of the Israelites. They were, according to verse 9, broken in spirit and under harsh slavery. For centuries, they had toiled under the heavy hands and the heavy burdens of the Egyptians. And as they increased in number, for they did, they increased mightily, very quickly over those several hundred years, the Egyptians only made their lives worse 
and harder so that the Israelites wouldn't rise up in rebellion against them or side with a foreign invader. In the midst of all this hardship, in the midst of daily toil, working and laboring and making bricks and not having any freedom, Moses shows up. After all these hundreds of years, Moses shows up and says, The Lord has heard your cry, and He is going to deliver you from your affliction. Could this good news, this unbelievable news, really be true? Could the days of, of endless days of back-breaking, dangerous work as laborers and brick-makers, brick could those days really be over? Could my children know what it's like to grow up not being in slavery like I did? Could my grandchildren only hear about slavery from their grandparents? And here was Moses saying, this is about to happen. So they worshipped the Lord. They believed. But when Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, instead of things getting better or letting the Hebrews go, Pharaoh only made things worse, even harder, more awful for the Hebrew slaves. It's hard getting your hopes up, isn't it? Only to have them dashed. God had told them that that it wasn't going to work at first. This wasn't news. It was them. They hadn't listened. God said, it's not going to work the first time. They'd gotten their hopes up. It was time to be free. And now the, the valley of the roller coaster was much deeper than the high of knowing that freedom was coming. How in the world could they be freed now? These promises that God has given, they're still in place, and He's still saying, hey, I really am going to free you. How could that be true? It's unbelievable. We tried that. It didn't work. And to all this, God says, just you wait. You'll see. We see this in verse 1. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. You can't accomplish this, but I, the Lord, I can. And in this text this morning, we see exactly how God is going to accomplish this. And we see it as an analog for our own salvation O wretched man that I am, how in the world could there be deliverance for me? As bad as I am, the thoughts and the actions that I've done, how could that be true? And to all of this, God says, just you wait. We see both for the Israelites and for us this morning, that because of the great promises of the past that God has made for His people, He promises to save them, to give them a new identity, and to lead us, to lead them to the promised land. That's what we'll see in our text this morning. So God appears to Moses in our text, and His words to Moses are recorded in verses 2 through 9. How does He begin? He begins by identifying Himself and reminding Moses that there were promises at play that had been made over 400 years ago, and now was the time for them to be fulfilled. We see this in verses 2 through 5. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, all caps here, Yahweh, Jehovah. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. 
Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. You'll remember that God had promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their descendants that they would have this great land, what we know as the promised land, or Israel. It was a fantastic land, a land flowing with milk and honey. But while the promise was made to Abraham, specifically in Genesis 12 and 15, 17, 22, those places, it was his immediate, it was not his immediate descendants who would get this land. It was those who had come one day, long, long time from then, after they'd been in Egypt, after they'd been afflicted. They would cry out to their God according to Genesis 15. He would hear their cry and bring them up and take them to the promised land. Have you ever heard of heir property? Do you know this phrase? It refers to a piece of property that someone dies and leaves it to a whole bunch of children. There's one person and they have ten children and they give one-tenth or so of their piece of property to that child. And then somebody else dies and you have four children over here and five children over here. And soon no one owns more than about three percent of a property and you really can't do anything with it. But it's called heir property because you inherit, but it's called heir property, A-I-R, because you can't do anything with it. Well, that's what the promised land was to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob. They were living there. They had use of it for a time being, but it wasn't theirs. They couldn't do anything with it. It wasn't time. There were these people, the Canaanites, living there. They had to be driven out. But now, now it's time for the fulfillment of God's promises. Made so long ago, 400 some odd years later, now was the time for the fulfillment of God's promises. Something new, something special There's a new phase of the history of God's people. And while the people who lived in the book of Genesis knew this, had heard this word, Yahweh, Lord, Jehovah, something new is going on here where God is revealing exactly what that means as He makes new covenantal um, obligations and promises to His people. What's He going to do for His people? Verse 5 tells us that He has heard their groanings and He has remembered their covenants, Not, not like He's forgotten but now it's time to act on it. Just you wait. Can you imagine the promise to those slaves who are living under such terrible slavery? Not only are you going to be freed from this place, I'm going to take you to the promised land, and you're going to have a place of your own, and it's going to be awesome. Just you wait. But if we back up, we zoom the camera lens out a bit, and see how this applies to us and how it points us to Jesus. You know, the promises that God made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, these promises were made to us. These are our people. The Gentile has been grafted into Israel. The church is Israel and, and the New Testament, Old Testament people of God. There's continuity there. These are our people. They were made to us. God makes promises that He will keep. And ultimately, this promise that, that God would send a seed through Abraham's line didn't refer to Isaac or Jacob. It ultimately referred to Jesus. Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, we read. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. The promises that Moses is re-declaring back to the, the Israelites, these are the promises made to us. And they ultimately point to something, not that it will necessarily happen at at, at Mount Sinai, 
as awesome as that was, and I can't wait to get there in Exodus, but something that will happen at Mount Calvary, where God's promises are truly fulfilled, and He takes the punishment for the covenants that we have broken, that we haven't kept. Well, out of His promises of the past, God gives them and us salvation. He saves them. He saves us. And we see this in verse 6, put in three different verbs. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. There's so much in this text. There, there's three promises here. And the first, that He is going to bring them out. That is, save them from their experience of being slaves. Now, we're going to get to the fact that they are, they are slaves, and their status of slaves leads to their experience. We'll get to that in a second. But first, we see that, that God is going to bring them out of their experience of being slaves. Think about what the life must have been like as a Hebrew slave. Imagine you're a mother or a father of a family of four, And every day you wake up before dawn. Your only meal is that which might have been left from last night, but likely without breakfast. You have to trudge out to the brick-making facility, the place of wounds, the place of terrors, the place where you have spent hours upon hours upon hours upon days upon years every day of your life. You don't know the names of the taskmasters with the whips, But you do know which ones to stay away from. Your soul is downcast. It's been worse, but now it's been made even worse. It's been bad, it's made even worse now that this guy Moses has shown up and and Pharaoh has not responded well and and they've taken our straw away. You don't have any choices. You can't leave when you need to. You can't stay home to take care of aging parents or sick children. If you're pregnant... You most likely have your child next to the drying bricks. Your children accompany you because there's certainly any child care, nor are there child labor laws. They work beside you. There are no breaks. The food is skimpy. There are no Sabbaths. The wails and the hardships of those around you being beaten only add to your heartbreak. You return home only at night to fall down on your sleeping pallet in order to wake up the next day and do it all again with no break in sight. And then Moses shows up and says... The Lord is going to bring you out from that. What good news. What good news. The experience was awful, but God was promising them to deliver them from the daily crushing grind of living the life of a slave. How in the world could this happen? How in the world could the superpower Egypt and its tyrant Pharaoh be convinced to let them go? Just you wait. Well, think about it from our perspective. This is the life of someone who doesn't know Jesus. Before we know Jesus, we are slaves. And out of our slavery comes the experience of being slaves. The condition of being a slave is a, a bad one, a slave to sin, unable to choose what is morally right and pleasing before God, chained to the bondage of sin, hopeless, having to face health crises, trials, tribulations without the Lord. When we become Christians, the Lord delivers us from that experience. Can you imagine? I mean, think about in our congregation, we have physical issues now. Our our beloved Marsha Graff has a pulmonary embolism 
sitting in 361 at the hospital. William and Lisa are at MD Anderson. Lucille Albritton is in a nursing home. Um, Maurice Williams is recovering from surgery. Can you imagine facing any of those things without Jesus? How awful that would be. Well, Jesus, the Lord here, is not just going to deal with their experiences, which is bad enough, but he is also going to deliver them from the thing that causes these experiences, and that is their slavery. We, uh, we planted a garden this week. Um, we've gotten better each year. Fewer plants die, praise Jesus. Um, and we did a big one this year. But we hit a bit of a problem. We planted Monday night, I think it was Monday night, I come home Tuesday after work, and y'all, my tomato plants have been dug up. Now, I immediately think of Thomas and Lizzie, but they didn't do it. Uh, some animal had come in and dug up all my, almost all of my tomato plants. And I replanted a few, the ones that were still alive, and we came back the next day, and they'd been dug up. So now we have a cage out there trying to deal with the situation. We've caught one raccoon and two cats. Um, I'm, I'm looking for some, some other things. But until the condition of having an armadillo or a possum or whatever it is is digging up my, toma- my beloved tomato plants, until that changes, the experience won't. And so there's something that the Israelites are suffering because they are slaves, and the Lord is going to deal with that. He's going to change their status. They are no longer going to be slaves. They are going to be delivered from being slaves. The status will be changed. My friends, this is us before we come to know Jesus. We are enslaved to our sin. We are in bondage to our old flesh, our old master, Satan. The symptoms of the bondage of, of sin may be manifest in our lives, from addiction to guilt to how we speak, think, and what we do. Inability to say no to sin or to temptation. But the problem is that those who don't know Jesus, before you came to know Jesus, you were in fetters, you were in chains, and they had to be broken. And this happens at Calvary. This is where the true deliverance comes as He delivers us from the domain of darkness, the power of darkness, Colossians chapter 1 tells us, and brings us into the kingdom of light. He delivers us from being slaves. He frees us for freedom. Christ has set you free, Galatians 5.1. There's another verb here. He says, I will redeem you. The word redeem is a really important one. Do you remember, um, you know, you can still see it on, on cans, redemption value. We don't have any in Alabama, but if you go to some of these other states, you can turn your can in. and You used to be able to, right? It's a a marketplace word on the one hand. It's the payment that is given to purchase something. Specifically, it is the purchase price of a slave. Now, not necessarily a purchase price if you wanted to buy a slave and bring a slave into your family to, to be a slave for you. It was the price that was paid to free a slave, to emancipate a slave. There's another use of redeem, and it refers to a kinsman redeemer, one who is a close relative who has obligations to help someone, another relative who is in need. And y'all, both of these things are going on in our text, aren't they? Who is our redeemer? Who is our kinsman redeemer? Who is that one who has pledged himself to us and is our close relative? It is no other than Yahweh, God himself. He has put his name on Israel and said, don't mess with my firstborn Pharaoh, that's mine. 
I'm their close relative. I'm going to redeem them. And I'm going to pay the purchase price to free them out of slavery. But here's the cool thing. Who pays the redemption price in our text? It's the Egyptians. As God brings his judgment upon them, they will see their crops destroyed. They will see their livestock uh, killed. They will even see the firstborn male of every household lose his life. But we can surely get to Jesus very quickly here, right? You see, you see how we can get to Jesus on this one? Who is our Redeemer? It is our Savior Jesus. And what is the price? It's not the firstborn of Pharaoh. It's the firstborn of, of God. It is our Savior Jesus. There was blood to be paid. There was a price to be paid. 1 Corinthians six twenty says that we have been bought with a price. The price was the blood of the Lamb. And our text tells us that God would stretch His arms out and do mighty acts of judgment. And where is our salvation? Where is our salvation? As the Son of God stretched out His arms on the cross. And as the wrath and the judgment of God was outstretched towards Him so that we might be saved. Who's doing all the actions in this text? It's all God. I will, I will, I will, I will. He's the one who saves us. So out of His promises, He saves us. And He also gives us a new identity. We see this in verse 7. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This is adoption language. He takes himself, Israel, as his firstborn son. He puts his name on them. He does not just deliver them out of slavery to lead them out of town and then leave them on the side of the road. These are his people. You are my people. You are the flock. You are my sheep of my pasture. God loves his people. And He will take them to be His people, and He will be their God. This will be ratified in a special way at Mount Sinai, but we see it especially at Mount Calvary, don't you? Where our sins are paid for so that we might be adopted as God's children, that we might become the sons of God. John 1 verse 12, But to all who did receive Him, receive him who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Isn't it nice to have new identities? We're not in the witness protection program like we're the innocent party and we're going to testify on somebody and we need new identities. We're the bad guy who's been forgiven and needs a new start. And so God adopts us as His children and He gives us new identities. No longer are we defined by our past. No longer are we defined by our record of sin. It's been nailed to the cross. No longer are we defined by our successes or failures, our children, our parents, our living conditions, our poverty, our wealth, our jobs, our lack of jobs. Those things no longer define us. Who defines us? It is Jesus. It is His blood. It is His righteousness. And we are secure in Christ. Just as we read for our call to worship this morning, Isaiah 43, because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. Later in that same chapter, Isaiah 43, he will says, I know your name. He knows your name. And ultimately your name is beloved, beloved of the Father.
And so, as those Christians, because of the promises He has made in the past, He has saved us. And He has given us a new identity. And my friends, He's leading us and He'd leave the Israelites into the promised land. Verse 8, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. From the world's perspective, certainly that from the Israelites, it looked like the Lord had tarried. He had delayed. Perhaps He'd forgotten. Aren't we supposed to be living somewhere nice and yet we're in the land of slavery? The time hadn't just come yet. He had delayed the possession of the promised land, but the time was right now. They had a long time of waiting. They would wait a little longer, wouldn't they? Because they would disobey in the wilderness and wait 40 more years. There would be a few more years in the wilderness of toil and hardship. But can you imagine the contrast between living in the land of slavery and the land of promise? The land of slaving for Pharaoh and the land of serving their God. The land of oppression, oppression and the land of freedom. But certainly it points us to the true promised land, doesn't it? To the promised land of heaven. The new heavens and the new earth. Where, we're, where we will with the Old Testament and New Testament church live with our God forever. There are years of waiting And years of toil left, aren't there? Between now and when we go to be with Jesus. But we are guaranteed this, that we are bound for the promised land where sickness, sorrow, pain, and death are felt and feared no more. Oh, you just wait. Just wait. The Lord's a-coming. He's going to take us home to the promised land. Well, this is great news. God had given Moses the gospel. Go and preach it to the Israelites. But in verse 9 we read, they didn't believe Moses. It was too good to be true, wasn't it? It was too good. They did not believe, they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. God would double down His promise. He was going to save them anyway, whether they wanted to be saved or not. But what's your response to the good news this morning? There's redemption in Christ. There's delivery, deliverance in Christ. There's freedom in Christ. And there's the promise of eternal home with Him in heaven, in Christ. Will you disbelieve like the Israelites did at this point? Or will you believe and turn your eyes once more to our Savior Jesus? My friends, just you wait. Just you wait. We're heading to the promised land. Let's pray. We thank you for the promised land, Lord. We pray that day would come soon. When Christ returns, make all things new. Until then, Lord, in the years of wandering and the tears of hardship, we pray that you would help us keep our eyes fixed upon our Savior. Thank you and pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.